All right, so I've got a question for you to think about. When do children become adults? What factors go into determining that, that somebody has crossed the threshold from childhood to adulthood? Our society has some very concrete ways of defining adulthood. We use ages all the time. 18, 21. Another big one that I discovered the hard way, 25, when it comes to renting a car. You can't do it unless you're 25, at least in California. I found that out trying to rent a car um, before I was 25. And it makes sense. If you think about it, what we're trying to say, our society is saying, is you know, you need to be a certain age because you're probably responsible enough to drive that car that's not yours, or you're responsible enough to even have a license so that you don't get into an accident. So society does a lot of defining of adulthood by age. Maturity is measured by these, these hard and fast lines, these black and white lines. And that's pretty understandable. It would be hard for society to operate in less concrete ways. Imagine going to the BMV to take your driver's license test. Question number one, when should you apply the parking brake? Question number two, what should you do when an emergency vehicle approaches? Question number three, do you still believe in Santa Claus? Question number four, do you have an imaginary friend, and will you let your imaginary friend drive your car? Those are ridiculous questions. Society cannot measure maturity by asking those kinds of questions. So we ask questions like, well, are you only this age? Then you're still a child when it comes to discerning whether or not you should go see certain movies. Or are you only this age? Then you're still a child when it comes to driving a car. And so we want to talk about maturity this morning. We want to talk about adulthood this morning, but not in these general ways. We want to talk about it from the perspective of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be an adult Christian, a mature Christian. And God has much to say to us from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, before we dive into the passage, um, I want to just say a couple things up front. The first is this, that maturity is something that we are always growing in. There is no, like, this person has reached perfect Christian maturity. They don't need to grow anymore. That's not true. We don't have time for it this morning, but we could turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and see a great passage where Paul, somebody that would be like the pinnacle of what it means to be mature, Paul is saying, I haven't reached it yet. None of us have until we take our final breath, or until Jesus comes back. So that's the first thing we want to be clear on. In fact, maybe sometimes it'll make more sense to say, like, are we maturing Christians? As opposed to, like, mature. Because that can almost give us the impression, like, I've reached this pinnacle of maturity. But that's not the case. There's always room for growth. And the second thing that I want to say up front is actually to give a definition of maturity. Now, it's in our passage. We're going to see it as we're walking through it. But it's in like the middle of our passage, and frankly, I didn't want to wait until the middle of the sermon to give the definition. feels like we should probably define it before we start talking about it in any other way. So this is what we're saying. Christian maturity is growth in Christ-likeness. Christian maturity, those Christians who are maturing are Christians who look more and more like Jesus. So pursuing maturity is pursuing greater growth in grace. It is pursuing this desire to be more like Christ. 
Now we do. We see it in the middle of our passage. Verse 13, Paul says it a couple of different ways. Here is Christian maturity. It is the pursuit of attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. It is the pursuit of reaching the full measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christian maturity is all about looking like Jesus. Now Ephesians 4, it unpacks for us some more of what maturity looks like. We're going to see three aspects of maturity this morning. So if you're a note taker, this is where you write things down. We're going to see the means of maturity. We are going to see the results of maturity. And then we're going to see the source of maturity. You could also package that in three questions. So if you're a note taker, like, I don't know, draw a line straight down to connect these things together. So if we're talking about the means of maturity, you could ask the question, how do we become mature? If we're thinking about the results of maturity, you could ask the question, what does that maturity produce? And if we're thinking about the source of maturity, we could ask the question, where does that maturity come from? So three questions that help us to think more carefully about maturity as a Christian. Now, Ephesians 4 is is something of the turning point in the whole letter to the Ephesians. In the first three chapters, Paul lays out for us our identity. If you are not a Christian today or you're a new believer today, you're familiarizing yourself with the Word of God, Ephesians is a fantastic place to start. Because Paul just systematically lays out for us, this is who you once were. This is who you now are in Christ. And because of that, in the last three chapters of Ephesians, this is how you should live. In the first three chapters, we have a bunch of statements of fact. They're called indicatives. In the last three chapters, we have a bunch of commands or imperatives. So Paul moves from the indicatives to the imperatives just seamlessly as we enter into chapter 4. There are very few things that Paul commands in the first three chapters. There are tons of things that he commands in the last three chapters. So he expects us to take these truths from the first three chapters and now live them out. Because God chose you before the foundation of the world. Because you have been adopted as sons and daughters into His family. Because we have redemption through the blood of Christ. Because our sins are forgiven. Because we have obtained an inheritance in heaven. Because God has lavished His love upon us. Because of all of these realities, Paul says, do something about it. And that's what he gets into in chapter 4. Do something about it. And so we're going to do that. And we're going to do that by first looking at the means of maturity. How do we become mature? Now, I had Steve read starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. That was just to give us a little bit more context, because we're going to dive in starting in verse 11. Verse 11, we're going to read that that verse and, and verse 12 once more. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Jesus has given leaders to the church. Some of whom we no longer have. They were there for the foundation of the church like the apostles and the prophets, but others that continue on. We have these leaders that God has given to the church and he's given them to us here in Ephesians 4 for one main purpose, to equip the saints for the work 
of ministry. That's why we have leaders. We most practically see that as that's why we have elders, that we might be equipped for ministry, that we might be prepared to participate in the life of the church, that we might be ready to do this work. It's right there at the end of verse 12. For building up the body of Christ. So, right off the bat, we see a misconception broken down here in Ephesians 4. A misconception that can easily get into our way of thinking. The healthy functioning of the church is not just on the leaders. It's not just the job of pastors or or folks with titles in the church. The healthy functioning of the church is for all of us, pastors and those with titles, as well as anyone else in the church. We all have a place in seeing the extension of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We all have a place in seeing each other encouraged and exhorted and comforted and loved. We have jobs to do. We have roles to play. We're a part of the ministry of the local church. And Paul tells us here, in in general terms, what our part is. We are to be about the building up of the body of Christ. We are supposed to encourage growth in grace in one another. And that takes work. That takes this like grace-filled, spirit-filled effort. Maturity, it doesn't just happen. There's something uh, in our world today that's very, very popular. It's the idea of passive income. Uh, my wife was a teacher for the first three years of our marriage. And uh, during that time, she set up what's called a Teachers Pay Teachers account. And what she did seven years ago is she took, like, lesson plans that she had, she took activities that she did, she took, like, encouraging note cards, and she put them onto this site and made them available for purchase to other teachers. Now, Casey has not been teaching for over five, four years, five years now. Over five years now. Hasn't been teaching, hasn't been in the classroom at all, hasn't touched that site, hasn't done anything to it. She still gets notifications on your phone. Congratulations, you earned 50 cents on this encouraging notes thing. She's still making money off of it. I'm like, that's amazing. How does that happen? Like, you're not even working at it. It just comes to you. The Christian life is not like that at all. It's the opposite of that. We don't just, like, set it and then forget it and and just do life however we please. It takes work. It takes effort. And as we do that, Paul tells us, maturity follows. The body matures as it's built up. As you invest in others, they grow in maturity. As others invest in you, you grow in maturity. Building up the body of Christ is one of the means that God has ordained that we would mature. It's one of the ways that God has spelled out for us how to become mature believers. You could draw a straight line from building one another up to maturity in Christ. How do Christians become mature? They become mature when they're plugged into a church that's all about the business of building one another up. Now, this idea of building one another up, it might sound pretty basic, it might sound pretty obvious, but if you really think about it, if you really think about it, it cuts against the grain of our flesh. It cuts against the grain of that sin that still remains in us, and it cuts against the grain of the world around us, of our society. If you combine our flesh with a society that holds up individualism as one of its highest values, suddenly building one another up is not so easy, so obvious, so basic anymore. Because we live in a world that's all about me, myself, and I. We like these kinds of questions. 
What do I want? What do I need? What can I get? What can I have? What can serve me? What can advance my cause? That's all about me. I don't want to be joined to anyone. I want to be free of everyone. I don't want to worry about anyone else. I don't want that. But if we live in obedience to what the Bible says here, everything changes. Now, it's not about what I want, what I need, what I can get, what I can have, what can serve me. Now, it's about, well, what do they need? What can I give? What can they have? How can I serve them? Being joined to someone else, that threatens our self-centered, self-contained universe. And it's not just true in the local church. Like, you mean when when I get married, when I covenant myself to my wife, I'll have to think more of her than myself? You mean when I have children, when I'm when I'm a mother or a father, I'm going to have to give up watching the big game or, or going to bed late or I'm going to have to wake up early? You mean when, when I join myself to a local church, I'm supposed to serve in it and participate in it, even if it means sacrificing my time and my resources and my energy? Our sin nature wants to do what's comfortable. Our sin nature wants to do what's enjoyable, what's easy. And Ephesians 4 says, no. Put that mentality to death and build up the body of Christ. Build up the body of Christ. Now, there are lots of examples that come to mind of how we can go about doing that. And they come to my mind because as I think about them, I realize I could do a lot better job at living them out myself. So here are the ones that I'm saying to me, and you can listen in if you'd like. Uh, I could talk with someone after the service about the sermon. I could invite a couple over to get to know them better after church. Steve preaches all the time, week in, week out, laboring to bring the word faithfully to us. I could email him. I could write him a note. Or just because of proximity, I could pop into his office and I could say, thank you. This is how you encouraged me, Steve. This is how the Lord used what you said to challenge me, to motivate me, to to produce godliness in me. I could encourage him. All right, here's one that's a little bit awkward. Don't you love the that build-up right there? This one's a little bit awkward. I could I could greet somebody. That's all I gotta say. I could greet somebody that I know has gone to this church for a long time, and I have too, but I've never actually talked to them. We've all, been, we've all felt it. Like, I should know that person's name, but I don't. Well, I've just, I just addressed the elephant in the room. This is absolutely the, the day to do it, all right? This is the day when the service is over to stand up and be like, I'm going to go hunt that person down, and I'm going to say, hey, I know that I should know you by now. I'm Colin. Good to meet you. Get to know that person. Young people, talk to somebody twice your age, but don't ask them how old they are before you talk to them. (laughs) But talk to somebody twice your age. If they look like they're twice your age, talk to them. Maybe don't do that one today, because then they're like, what are you saying about me? Do it next week. Get to know somebody who's lived the Christian life longer than you have. Meet tangible needs when they arise. And couple that with, build relationships with those people. Like, you could do something to help somebody, that's awesome. But then get to know that person. Like, if somebody has a baby, there are many babies on the way in our church. Praise the Lord for that. There are many babies on the way. 
maybe give, give a meal to that family. And then the next Sunday, talk to them at church. New baby in the house, there's like a million things to talk about. So there's endless supply of conversation there. Get to know that family. Volunteer to babysit a young couple's kids so they can have a date night. And then the next Sunday, talk to them at church. Develop a deeper relationship. Come to prayer meeting and pray for other people in the church. And, there's always an and, and follow up with them later. Check in with them. We prayed for you on Wednesday night. How's this situation in your life going? Get plugged into a community group. Get to know a few individuals and families more intimately. All right, this is one that really struck home for me because I I fail at this all the time. Come to church on Sunday mornings with a plan in how you will pursue others. Like intentionally have specific questions that you want to ask certain people about what's going on in their lives. But don't just come to church on Sunday mornings with a plan in how you'll pursue others. Also come with a plan in how you will respond to being pursued. What's the most popular question that we all ask on Sunday morning? How's your week been? That, that's a question that we know is coming. It's a fine question. It opens up all kinds of possibilities to respond. But man, am I bad at thinking about my week ahead of time? And so then I'm just kind of fumbling around for an answer, and oftentimes, how was your week turns into, it was good. It was fine. It was nice. I just, I fail at thinking about my week, and especially thinking about my week from like a spiritual perspective. Like, how could I share with somebody how I saw God faithful to me in this last week? How how could I share with somebody something that I read in the Word that was challenging and convicting to me? How could I maybe share with somebody that I have a pretty good relationship with ways that I failed to walk faithfully with the Lord, sinned against Him or sinned against others, and need to confess that and ask for prayer? The list of ways to build up the body of Christ, it could go on and on and on. We need the local church, and the local church needs us. Let's do the work of ministry together. Let's be maturing Christians. So we've seen the means of maturity. We've answered the first question, how do we become mature? Let's answer the second question from our passage, which is, what does that maturity produce? So let's look at the results. And that's where we come into verse 14. So read verse 14 with me. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So Paul is building on his his argument. He's saying that he's given leaders in the church to equip the body in order that it would build itself up, in order that it would, it would grow until we become mature. That's verse 13. And then that maturity is so that we would no longer be these children. So maturity produces Christians who know and cling to the truth. Paul says that the more mature we become, the less that we are deceived by Satan's schemes. The more mature we become, the less we are prone to believe and to buy into the lies of the evil one. So there's this stark contrast that Paul sets up before us. 
If we are not maturing Christians, if we are not growing as Christians and and being more and more adultish, then there's only one other thing that we can be. Children. If we're not becoming adult Christians, then we're stuck as a bunch of baby Christians, a bunch of Peter Pan Christians, spiritual children who just never grew up. And if that's what we are, spiritual children who never grew up, then Paul says that we are susceptible to deception. If we're not maturing, then we're easily led astray. We're easily tempted and swayed by Satan's lies. Paul says that that we would then be tossed to and fro by the waves, that we would be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We're gullible. We're easily fooled. That illustration, it's like a ship at the mercy of the waves of the sea. And we too, we're at the mercy of every idea, of every belief that comes scrolling down our Facebook news feed or, or that gets, gets broadcast on the news as like dogmatic truth. Satan's a liar. He's really good at it. Look around the world and we see that people... They are, they are buying his lies like the, like the last box of Twinkies. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember? It's probably been like, I don't know, seven, seven, five, seven years ago, Hostess went bankrupt. And for this really brief window of time, Twinkies were, were no longer being made. And people freaked out about it. And of course, maybe you're one of these people, there were certain people who went and bought all the Twinkies, and then posted them up on eBay at exorbitant prices. Like, I think a box of Twinkies at the time, so it's definitely not the same price now, but at the time, it was like four bucks. And people were selling them, and people were buying them for hundreds of dollars. And then, of course, Hostess got, like, you know, saved, and Twinkies got sold again, and all those people looked really foolish. I apologize if you bought Twinkies. If you did, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? Why would you spend so much money for a box of Twinkies? I don't even think they taste that good to begin with. But people were, they were frantically, they were irrationally buying Twinkies. But here's the reality. And we are, we are susceptible to this. This is what Paul is warning us against. We are just as capable of frantically and irrationally buying into Satan's lies. He makes them sound so good that they seem true. He makes them sound so good that you would do crazier things than buy a box of Twinkies for like $200. You would do things like lose your soul in order to gain the whole world. And so he says things like, like make as much money as you can so you can live as comfortably as you can for your short life because when it's over, it's over. Don't use your brain. Don't think any more than you have to. Watch as much TV. Play as many video games. Scroll on your your social media feed as often as you can. Get Soak up every spare moment. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was a popular way of thinking in Paul's day. It's popular in our day, too. If you want to be mature, if you want to be an adult Christian, then Paul is calling us to build one another up in unity because the alternative is to be torn apart by Satan's lies. We build one another up because maturity produces Christians who love and cling to the truth. That's the result of maturity. So we've seen the means of maturity. We've seen the results of maturity. Let's consider the source 
of maturity. The final aspect. Answer the question, where does this maturity come from? Paul says it here in the last two verses. Verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus is the source. Without him at the center of our building one another up, we will just be doing it all in vain. We'll just be like trying to make each other feel better, make each other feel good. You can't build up another believer. I can't build up another believer. None of us can do it if we're not joined to Jesus Christ. So Paul uses this metaphor of the, of the body to describe our relationship to Jesus and then our, our relationship to one another. Jesus is the head and the church is his body. There's only one head and the head is, is in authority over the rest of the body. The arms, the legs, the organs, all the members of the body, they submit to the leadership of the head. The head ties the whole body together and, and makes it to work properly. And so when we are tied to Jesus, we are made to work properly as his body, the local church. So Jesus is the source of our growth. When we're joined to Jesus, we're joined to one another. When we are joined to Jesus, we're equipped. When we're joined to Jesus, we are working properly. And so ultimately, when we are joined to Jesus, we grow, we mature as we build his body up in love. Now, maybe that sounds like some hard work. It is. It is hard work to pursue Christ's body. But here's the encouragement. He is the head. He is the one who supplies the strength. He's the one who supplies the growth. And we, just, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Like There is just this wonderful tension that is all over the Bible that says work super hard and also be encouraged because God is at work in you. Like We have to have that happening. We have to see how God is at work. Jesus is the one who holds us all together. Jesus is the source. He is the one through whom the body grows. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not really sure if you've been joined to Jesus in the first place. Here's the gospel message, plain and simple. In and of ourselves, we are all dead in our sins and on a path to hell. We desperately need to be saved. No one is exempt. No one gets a pass. We saw that last week in Luke, if you remember the rich ruler. We are sinners and we need a savior. And the Bible says Jesus Christ is that savior. He came and he lived a perfect life. He died in the place of sinners and he rose again from the grave defeating sin and death. In order to be saved from your sins, you must believe in him. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus welcomes all whom the Spirit draws. He welcomes all who come to him. The gospel truly is good news. There is new, lasting, eternal life to be found in Christ because of his death and resurrection. And so here's my plea. Turn from your sin. Turn from going your own way, living life on your terms, and believe in him. If you want to unpack that more, you want to talk about that more, talk with somebody you came with today. Talk with me. Talk with another Christian that you know. Like This is the best message 
that the world has ever heard. Don't just skip out on it. Don't just like wait another week. Don't think you're good to go. Be joined to Jesus today. And so here's the question for those of us who have been joined to Jesus this morning. Are you pursuing maturity? Are you seeking to contribute to the maturity of other Christians? Well, hopefully Ephesians 4 has helped us. Hopefully it's helped us to think more carefully about Christian maturity. Hopefully it's, it's brought it to the forefront of our minds. Here's the comfort. God hasn't left us to figure it out on our own. God doesn't just leave us in the dark about growth and godliness. It's not just something that we stumble upon, but it's something that we're to pursue. It's something that we are to work at. It takes effort. And Ephesians has told us something of what that grace-filled, spirit-empowered effort should look like. We've seen the means of maturity. We've seen the results of maturity. We've seen the source of maturity. Mature Christians come as we build up the body of Christ. And mature Christians are those who cling to the truth. And mature Christians are only possible because Jesus is the head of the body. And we have been joined to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light to our path. That it points us that it directs us, that it shows us more and more of who you are, of what it means to be in relationship to you, and what it means to live out that relationship. I pray, Lord, that you would be working in us. I pray that starting for myself, that you would be, be working in us to produce greater and greater maturity, to grow us in godliness. And I pray that you'd be working in us Uh, that we would be investing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that we would pursue each other, that we would want good for each other as you define good, and that we would do it because we want to see you glorified, God. We want to see the, the, the head exalted. We want to see Christ exalted. So, Lord, give us that strength. Give us the grace to pursue, to invest, to think intentionally about how we can love each other, how we can encourage each other, how we can exhort each other, how we can challenge each other to grow in grace. Only you can produce the growth, Lord. Give us the strength to pursue one another. We thank you for your word. We thank you for time that we had to be in it this morning. We pray that it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but that Uh, You would keep it on our hearts and minds all through this week. Use it to, to produce change in us, we pray. It's in Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen.